Hello, everyone. This is Chris with CW Outreach and his co-host, Lauren, with CW Outreach as well. Hello, everyone. Uh, today, we're going to talk about the red flags of domestic violence. And what we'll do is let uh, Lauren go first and we'll discuss it. All right. With domestic violence, not everything in a relationship starts off with those red flags. Um, a lot of people, when they have domestic violence, you know, when you meet somebody, they're the perfect partner at first, you know, they put on this perfect front in the early stages. However, the possessive and controlling behaviors, they don't always appear overnight, but they do over time and they emerge and they intensify as the relationship grows. So if you're ever beginning to feel as your partner or a loved one's partner is becoming abusive, there are a few behaviors that you can look out for. And we call these the red flags. And we're going to talk about them, and then I'm going to give you a number to call for the hotline for domestic violence, and they will help you out. But let's talk about the first flag that happens. It starts, it could be starting out with as simple as embarrassing you or putting you down. Yeah, that could be uh, just in public, or it could be inside your house, around your family. It could be around anybody. Once they start shaming you and blaming you and putting you down, basically at that time, they're starting to dehumanize you and you become their property. And when they put you down, I mean, they could be saying that you're fat, you're ugly, you're worthless, or even start attacking the way you parent your children, saying that you're a horrible parent. Yeah, and, and that's not good because now that, that's going to now where it's emotionally uh, abusive now as well. And then they're starting to, at, when they start telling you that and they're dehumanizing you, they're trying to start isolating you that way because you don't feel like you're good enough to do anything anymore. And that's the big misconception is people think domestic violence, again, is all about hitting or punching or pushing. It's not. It has so many other factors. And that right there is with emotional abuse, with embarrassing you or putting you down or belittling you. That is not right at all by no means. Especially in a fight. I mean, <clears throat> when you all get the name calling and, you know, putting each other down, that, that's, not, that's not good. I mean, because what you say in anger, you're just saying it because you're angry. You're not, you're not saying it because you mean it. But the thing boils down to is that sits in a person's brain or your partner's brain like a ticking time bomb. And eventually it will come to light and blow up. And then, unfortunately, that partner starts to believe that about themselves. Even if other people are lifting them up, they just believe that that compliment is, they're just saying that because they're my friend or they love me or they feel like they have to. Exactly. Another red flag is the way the person looks at you and the way that maybe they act around you to scare you. That can be like the stern, you know, face that they're looking at like they're angry. You know, the, you know, the pers perfect face when your kids are at a grocery store and they're acting up and, you know, you look at them and you give them that look. They know, ooh, I messed up. I can't do that again. Well, that happens in a relationship as well to scare you. It could be as little as even hitting the table or throwing something down or pushing something off the counter or, in some aspects, throwing things at you. You know, that that's a form of intimidation, what it comes down to. Uh, with intimidation, you're trying to get the person to do what you want them to do without any real actions towards the person. Now, that could be like the angry stare. Uh, your body language, you know, if you're trying to talk to somebody, <clears throat> let's say your partner, and you're bigger than the partner, well, you're standing up nose to nose with them, and your your chest is all puffed out, and, you know, you're just uh, intimidating them by just your size by itself and being in their personal space. Uh, throwing things, 
throwing things off the counter, throwing things off the table. Destroying your property. Yeah. They, they, they'll also destroy their own property, too, mm-hmm. to try to prove a point. Uh, and basically what they're trying to do is get you to do, come into compliance to their terms without any physical harm to you. But a lot of things with that, with the destroying of your property or throwing things, they can also even threaten to hurt or kill you or even kill your pets. People use pets as a, you know, a weapon as well. Oh, yeah. And, you know, especially not just pets, but they even use the kids. Like, you know, what I'm going to do is, you know, uh, I'm out of here. I'm taking the kids. You're not a good parent. And you'll never see them again. again. And, you know, that's a go to for a lot of people. And then that goes also along with the putting you down because at that point they'll say, you know, no judge, nobody's going to believe you. You're a worthless parent. I see it. Everybody sees it. They talk about it. So, again, that goes into the emotional abuse as well. Oh, yeah. I mean, there's steps to all of this. And then also another red flag that you have to worry about is if they start controlling who you see, where you go, what you do, if you're able to go to your parents or your family or a reunion or a wedding – I mean, they control, like, no, you're not going to hang out with Susie because I don't like her because, you know, she's a quote-unquote slut. And if you hang out with one like that, that's what you are. You are who you hang out with. And them controlling you, saying where you can't or can't go, that includes work. They can say you're not allowed to work. Oh, you want to go to school? No, you're not allowed to go to school. Yeah, and that's part of isolation. Uh, What they're trying to do is get you to have no communication outside the house besides with that person. Uh, that's a very good example of what a lot of domestic violence that start off with this emotional abuse and then goes to an isolation. And because they don't want you going out there and talking about what he has done or she has done, uh, you know, they feel like, well, you're their property. So he'll do or she'll do whatever they want with the property and they're going to control you. I mean, you know, having you go to your family's house and limiting the time that you're with your family doesn't give her enough time or him enough time to tell him what's actually going on. Mm-hmm. So that, that's what they want to do is keep the communication to, uh, to the bare minimum. Now, also, what they also do as well is go through your cell phones to see who you're talking to, social media. They'll check your text messages. They'll check your emails. I mean, they can go out as far as check the mileage on your car. They can even add that app to their phone that any text message you send, any phone call, they get the alert and who it is and it records the conversation. Oh, yeah. And, you know, and that goes to where, you know, there's a lot of cyber stalking now that kind of goes on. And because it's so accessible, you go to all these little app stores or you go to a program you could look on your phone that might not even be part of the app store. And, you know. They put an attachment into your phone and you don't realize it, but they get everything. Your text messages, phone calls, emails. Basically, they're mirroring the uh, the phone. And that what they're doing is they're controlling, again, who you're contacting, who you're seeing. And you know, let's say, hypothetically, you know, they got an email or a text message they didn't like. And they come home and ask you about it and you deny it. They already know the answer to it. And then that would, you know, normally would it, it, uh it would go up to to uh, uh, where it'd be more physical at that time. 
And then you also have to be careful, like a lot of these victim resources that you can go online, like the Texas Advocacy Project, they'll even give you a warning. If you think your phone is, you know, being monitored, your computer is being monitored, go find another safe place that you know where you can go, where it is, you know, you know, it's safe that it's not being monitored, whether it's your friend's house next door or a neighbor or your parent, somewhere that you can go to reach out for help so they don't know. So that doesn't make them even more angry because you're reaching out for help. And they're going to try to rectify the situation before it happens to, um, for the police to get involved or victim advocates to get involved. Now, another thing with that is when they like to take control is also taking control of the money. You could be working a career or a job and they want your money and they refuse to give you money. And let's say you're a stay-at-home mom and, you know, they give you a quote-unquote an allowance. Last time I checked, an allowance is for a child who does chores. Why? Because that gives them the reasoning of what, what it is to make money, what it is to make a dollar is a dollar. Because kids don't realize that. But as an adult, we know what we need. We know what it costs. You know, controlling money and having to ask permission to go to the Walmart to get milk or diapers that your children need and being told no because that's above your allowance, that's ridiculous. And you've got to be really careful because these controlling people like to use money as a weapon. You know, you brought up, you said that, you know, that that he didn't let you have money. Well, you know, that you're a stay-at-home mom. Well, nowadays, you got stay-at-home parents, uh, which would be a dad as well. Oh, yeah. So it doesn't discriminate on you know, the sex. No, um, it works both ways. Exactly. And, you know, there's times there where, you know, the person that's in control of the finances, yeah, let's say both parties work. Okay, well, you have one person control the finances, and like we have at our house, you know, we let Lauren, she runs the finances, but I've never been denied access to money if I needed it. Now, she turned around and let's say she put me on allowance, well, you can only have $20 a week, and it's like, well, no, I'm not a kid, I don't get an allowance, you know, I, I contribute just as much as you do, mm-hmm. you know, that, you know, that that's a good uh, an example of trying to control the money, but what they're trying to do is... It's for selfishness needs, and they want to know exactly what you're spending the money on. Exactly, and, and it's not like a budget. It's like, okay, we've made all these bills. However, we only have $150 to last us two weeks. So right now we need to keep some of the expenses down. So if we need to have gas to go to work, we have that budgeted in there. So no extra spending this week, you know, because we have to have that money last. That's not controlling. That is open conversation, mm-hmm. and that's looking at a budget. And so and y'all are negotiating and looking what is what is needed and what is a necessity and what is just a want that can wait till later. All right. I, but we're more we're talking about is, okay, well, I'm going to give you $100 a week, and that's all you get. And that includes you going to work. That includes your gas money. That includes your food. That includes... Uh, it's like your stipend. Yeah. That, that's all you get is $100 a week. Now, if you got to go get groceries at the grocery store for the kids, well, you better make it cheap because, you know, that's coming out your $100. Exactly. You know, that's what we're talking about when it comes down to financial abuse is... When they're controlling the money, no matter what, but yet they buy whatever they want, when they want, without any permission. And it's like, it's a one-way street. It's not two-sided. It's not, that right there is not a relationship. A relationship is 100-100%. You're giving 100%. Don't tell me a relationship is 50-50. It's not. It's a 100-100, period. No, I agree. I agree. Now, another red flag is, of course, like if they are um, blaming you for the abuse, or they're acting like it's not really happening. You're crazy. 
you know, or, you know, I had to, I had to smack you in the face because you were over talking to me because we were talking and I was talking first. They blame you. Okay. That right there is abuse. And then they want to make you feel like you're going crazy. You're going nuts because what are you talking about? I never hit you. Why? Because they don't want to see that the fact that they actually did lay their hands on you. And I don't think it's more of that. It's the fact that they're minimized, denying, and blaming. Mm-hmm. You know, what they want to do is blame somebody else for their actions. Say, well, you made me do it. That's why I did it. They're trying to justify it. And again, you got to remember, go all the way back to step one. They already dehumanized you. You're now their property. Exactly. And then they'll use the excuse, well, the alcohol made me do it. Or the drugs made me do it. I was out of my mind. I am so sorry it'll never happen again. However, it does. Yeah, and you know, and, and sometimes, unfortunately, you know, the only time abuse comes out, any type of abuse comes out, is when there's substance involved. It could be alcohol, drugs, anything that inter- uh, introduced into the body and alters the mind. Mm-hmm. You know, will alter the person. You know, it's like, let's say one person, they've been married for 50 years, and uh, the partner got drunk one night, and... Let's just say, give me an example of what he did that night. He got real mad and was in a rage because supper was cold, considering the fact that it was 2 o'clock in the morning. He just got home from the bar, but his supper was cold because the you know the other person put it in the refrigerator you know, to make sure it didn't spoil. But he was mad, got aggressive, threw the plate, threw the silverware, and slapped the other person in the face. Okay. Now, see, now normally he would never do that, for one. Okay, now when alcohol is involved or any type of substance is involved, it alters the mind. And at that time, he's not thinking in his evolved type brain. He's going to his primitive brain because, you know, when you have that substance, more than likely you're going to be operating out of the, uh, the primitive brain. Can you, um, can you tell our listeners exactly what you're talking about when you're talking about primitive brain versus evolved brain? The primitive brain is a small little section of your uh, of your brain. If you take uh, your hand and you make the, like number four, you know, like one, two, three, four, and you got your thumb in the palm of your hand, okay, well, your thumb, that's your primitive brain. Now, you close that over with all the other fingers, like making a fist with your thumb in your hand. The top part is called your evolved brain, okay? Now, when you're in your primitive brain, what happens is you got the uh, cortisol, the stresses, you got all that stuff flowing through your body. And when that's going through your body, you go into your fight, fight, freeze mode. Okay. Now, the primitive brain is also known as the consequence brain. So when you're in alcohol, uh, inebriated state, or you know, substance abuse, uh, you're going to function more out of the primitive brain because whatever you do is consequences you know and it's hard for you to good for your brain to communicate back and forth to the evolved brain because it is has some type of substance altering kind of like a cloud like it clouds the judgment yeah and and what that does it doesn't allow you to function more out of the evolved brain because you want to do something that makes you feel good at that time you know that releases the stress that releases the anger so, of course, you know, they'll go and they'll throw the, the plate of dinner, the fork, and, you know, unfortunately, in this incident, they slap somebody. You know, but that is abuse. That is 110% abuse. Now, if they don't remember doing it, you know, they could have been blacked out, but that's still no excuse. Correct. It doesn't make it right. 
Now, also, like, let's let's just go and talk about, you know, actual physical violence. That could be, you know, shoving, slapping, choking, hitting. And in the movie cycle, you see that it can only take one incident, one punch, one one single shove can end somebody's life here on Earth. And then entail take your life as well because you will be prosecuted. Oh, yeah. I mean, physical, I mean, that's... You know, that's the more common one, I would think, mm-hmm. uh, just because that's what everybody's used to seeing, especially like on TV. I mean, it's gotten to the point now you can't put anything on TV or in a movie where somebody's getting beat up, uh, a female or male is being beaten up by the opposite sex. Or even the same sex. Yeah, or even the same sex. And it's to the point now where it's almost like it's trying to desensitize us on, on abuse. And then, you know... If you're in a relationship and your partner slaps you, well, you know, I guess this way it has to be because, you know, the cops didn't do anything on TV. You know, you know, it is what it is. And, and to me, it's not right. Abuse is abuse is abuse. If, if a partner hits you, slaps you, chokes you, uh, you, you need to call the police, you know. And I'll tell you one thing. Men hate calling the police because, for one, their pride gets in the way, especially if they've been abused, and the cops roll up, and they see this, like, for instance, a six-foot-two dude. you know, Big and muscular. Big, burly man, like uh, corn-fed. And you got this four-foot-eleven female over there, maybe 110 pounds, soaking wet. And, you know, he calls the cops saying he just got his butt beat by his, uh, his partner. And he has the bloody nose and everything like that. And they kind of look at him and laugh. And it's like, yeah, no. And they drive off. But see, that's just as serious as it, this, it being, re, you know, role reversed. It is not right to hit somebody or bring violence on somebody, period, whether it's male or female. It's not right. You could, there's other ways to deal with altercations than just pulling out fists and shoving and pushing and hitting. That's the problem. You're, you're absolutely right. And that's when they had to figure out how to kind of de-escalate their, themselves. They had to regulate their internals. Yeah, because they're not in really control of what's going on with somebody else. However, the only thing you can control is how you react to a situation. Yeah, you're, that's, you're, you're only responsible for your actions. You can't be responsible for your partners. You can't be responsible for your children's. You can't be responsible for uh, John Smith down the road. Or Sally Jane yeah. down the road. You know, what What you're responsible for overall is what you do and how you react. That's it. Um, you know, let's say you get in the uh, situation where it's getting heated. You know, there is ways to calm yourself down and not allow you to function out of the, the primitive brain. Because, again, you know, when an argument happens, you go to fight, flight, freeze mode, and that gets you to your primitive brain. And there's things that you could do to kind of keep yourself out of there and get you back into the evolved brain so you could think clearly on how to address the situation without an argument ensuing. Now, granted, yeah, every relationship you're going to have arguments, but there's healthy arguing and there's bad toxic arguing. What are some tips that you can give our listeners on ways to use that um, evolved brain instead of going to the fight instinct? Uh, One thing that you could do is, you know, take some deep breaths. Seriously, I mean, everybody's heard it. Take some deep breaths. You know, do four or five deep breaths and say, okay, I need to remove myself from the situation. And this is what you tell your partner. So let's pretend that, you know, Lauren and I just got in a fight. 
what I would do is I would take my breath and try to say, you know what, honey, uh, I, I need to go cool off for a few minutes and then I'll come back. Maybe we could discuss it when I'm cooled off or we could discuss it a little later when both of us are cooled off. And, you know, when you're cooled off, you go there and say, okay, let's have a discussion. There's no, no, uh, uh, raising the voice. Yeah. There's not going to be any raising the voice. There's not going to be any pointing the fingers. You know, you need to say how you feel. I need to say how I feel. And then we can come and talk about that. Okay. That's one way you could do it. Uh, now let's say we got in an argument and I turned around, I did my deep breath and said, I need to go cool off. Well, and my partner, Lauren is not ready to be finished. What she has to say, it follows me and keeps following me and yelling and yelling and yelling. At that time, what I would do is like, I would get in my car or something like that. I'm not granted that's never happened, but I would get in the car, close the car door and just go for a ride. Just get out of the situation one way or another. Now, did I hit her? No. Did I not want to argue? Right. I don't. Uh, now, another way to do it, let's say, uh, uh, to kind of get your uh, evolved brain and your primitive brain functioning better, it's called bilateral stimulation. And what you could do, I know it, you, you put your right hand on your right knee and your left hand on your left knee. And then you, you'll tap your right hand and go like right, left, right, left. And you just, you know, with your hands, you just tap. So you're saying it centers you, like yeah. brings you back to focus. Yeah, it doesn't get rid of the problem. It What it does, it dissipates the stress levels and the cortisol levels in your body to where, okay, I can feel better now. I can breathe. I'm not as stressed. Uh, yeah, the problem's still there, but I can handle it differently now. That's interesting. That's really interesting. All right. And so let's say that, you know, this, you know, this argument ensued between this, this, this couple and the one person was hit and beaten and choked and that person's going to say, well, I'm calling the cops and trying to get 911 involved. And then the other person that was doing the battering says, no, don't you call the police. Don't you, because if you press charges, if you press charges and I get out, I'm going to kill myself or I'm going to come back and kill you or whatever. They'll use any type of tactic to stop you from pressing charges. And that's the sad thing that a lot of domestic violence um, cases, a lot of those charges are dropped probably because of fear. Yeah, and they're dropped not by the state. They're dropped by the, uh, the victim. victim. They'd go down there and, you know, ask and sometimes beg and plead that they drop the charges uh, because they know what the outcome is going to eventually be when he gets out. You know, yeah, you get a protective order, you get a restraining order, you get all those things in the world you want. But again, remember, it's just a piece of paper. That piece of paper ain't going to stop somebody from doing what they really want to do. Exactly. You know, and then, um, yeah, you know, and what you're talking about is basically your coercion. You're coercing the person to get what you want. Uh, it's no different than me turn around and say, say I, I beat Lauren up. And I start begging, oh, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry, I won't do it again. Please don't call the cops. Please don't call the cops. I won't do it again. Trust me, I promise, I promise, I promise. And then from there, it goes into, well, okay, next couple months is good. And then it starts escalating again, and it gets higher and higher, and then it does it again. And then, of course, you know, it happens, 
where it gets physical. Then I start begging and pleading again, don't do this, don't do this. You know, if you do it, I'm going to kill myself. Don't call. You know, I promise, you know, don't leave me, this and that, blah, blah, blah. I mean, you, you can come up with all the excuses in the book as to uh, how you're sorry and that you don't want you to leave. You know, you come up with all those excuses just because, you know, you're you're their toy. You're their property. They don't lose their property. They got that control over you. And for the victims, I feel sorry for because, you know, the thing is, you know, you, the, the public is like, well, you know, why don't they just leave? Why don't they just leave? Well, you know, it's a lot harder than what you imagine. That would be another episode we talk about. But briefly, it's about, you know, no matter what, the victim still loves the batterer. Oh, yeah. And... You know, what's really hard because the victim has been put down so much that they start to believe, well, maybe it was my fault. Maybe because I didn't put the forks in the right slot in the drawer, I did deserve being hit. You know, they start to victimize, they start with the victim, they start going, okay, well, I deserved it. I deserved it. And that's the problem. And then there's also the capability of, I'm scared. If I, if I call anybody or if I do anything like that to get help, I might die. Or he's going to take my kids away. Or she's going to, you know, run off and take the kids from me and I'll never see them again. Mm -hmm. So that's a whole thing with the victims. And when we're talking about this, there's a great, there's several great resources. And like I was going to say is domestic violence, it doesn't always look the same in every relationship. It's all different because every relationship's different. But one thing most abusive relationships have in common is that the abusive partner does make different kinds of things to have more power and control over their their partners. So these red flags, make sure you're looking at them because if that's the case, we have several places that you can go to reach out to get help. And if you're in Texas, one of the best ones to do is the Texas Advocacy Project. You can get help now. They answer the phones. You can call 1-800-374-HOPE, and that's H-O-P-E. You can also reach out to them online as well. And the good thing about this, they even give you legal help. It's all free. They're here to help you no matter what. And also, another great thing is call the hotline. If you are concerned or, and you see some things happen in your relationship, give a call. It's 24-7. The number is 1-800-799-SAFE. SAFE. And that's 1-800-799-7233. And that's the domestic abuse, National Domestic Violence Hotline. And, you know, it, they're, they're there 24 hours a day, seven days a week to help you. And like I said, I, I don't want to really get into the, the, the victim thing now because it's a lot more in-depth and detailed. Uh but we wanted to give you a little bit yeah, of an yeah. insight of the signs. So you're like, oh, my gosh, that's happened. That's happened. That's happened. And then you know what? You can reach out to somebody and be like, hey, I'm a little worried. And if that's the case, it could be as easy as he just has an anger management problem. Yeah. Well, if that's the case, then it's he, we can hopefully help you or help th somebody help them to control their anger so it doesn't happen again. And it's not going to go into that, you know, toxicity of turning into an abusive, domestic abusive relationship when it comes to physical abuse. Oh, yeah. And, you know, like I said, you know, but talking about, you know, the, uh, the, the victim part of it, you know, that's like I said, it's a whole new different animal. 
because you know everybody's like, well, if I was in that, I, I would leave, or I don't see understand why she doesn't leave, or why he doesn't leave, or blah 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 blah. I mean, you could sit back Monday night quarterback all day you want until you're put in that position. You don't know what you're gonna do. Exactly, you have to put yourself in their shoes. If you've never been there, you can't you can't empathize with them. Exactly, and that's what I'm saying. That's uh, next week when we talk about it. You know, it, it's gonna be a little lengthy because there's so much involved in what the victims go through on you know not just that feelings but how they feel stuck how they feel like they can't get out uh, or if they want to get out they still don't know how to get out and you know and you're like well you know there's all these programs out there to help them there's this there's that it's like it, it, you guys don't 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 you may not know that they may not have any access to a phone nor a computer to reach out you don't know if the door is locked from the outside where they can't get out so you really don't know yeah, exactly. You can't judge unless you walk one step in, in their, their shoes. shoes. And that, that that's no joke. So, But other than that, I mean, I think there's a pretty good podcast today. And I hope y'all listen in next week for uh, the one where we talk about the victim's perspective. And then again, you know, uh, we will be having a couple special guests coming up pretty quick. Uh, I'll let you know the dates on the next podcast when we get them all firmed up. Uh, other than that. And again, if you would like to be a guest on our podcast, please reach out to me. My email address is Lauren at CWoutreach.org. And that's L-A-U-R-E-N at C-W-Outreach, O-U-T-R-E-A-C-H dot O-R-G. And other than that, I hope you and your families have a great rest of your day. Y'all, God bless. Love you.